Welcome to Bits About Books, the home for conversations with authors of breakthrough books on sales, marketing and business. Founders, entrepreneurs and individual professionals, we all need to keep track of ideas that are helping create our today and tomorrow. Bits About Books will strive to find those books and speak to their authors, go behind the scenes and understand what inspired the authors to write the books that they did and how they went about doing so. Through our conversations, we hope to gain insights that will help us to get the most out of our efforts. I'm your host Shubhanjan Sarkar, founder of Pitchlink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform where our mission is to make buying easy. Welcome to Bits About Books. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Our guest today is Joey Coleman and we speak with him about his Wall Street Journal bestseller, Never Lose an Employee Again, The Simple Path to Remarkable Retention. The research shows that the first 100 days of the employee experience is the most important time period in the entire employee relationship. The research showed that there are eight distinct phases that an employee goes through in their journey within our organization. The research shows that the same six tools we use to communicate with our customers, we should be using to communicate with our employees. And they want that variety and they want that level of communication. Most organizations... In fact, more than 50% of organizations spend less than one week onboarding and acclimating their people. If you want someone to stay for years, you need to be willing to invest more than one week getting them comfortable with their environment. When organizations like Whirlpool, NASA, Volkswagen Australia, Principal Financial and Zappos need to boost their customer or employee experience, they call on Joey Coleman for assistance. For over 20 years, Joey has helped organizations retain their best people, customers and employees and turn them into raving fans via his entertaining and actionable keynotes, workshops and consulting projects. His first 100 days methodology helps fuel the successful experiences his clients deliver around the world. His two books have received critical acclaim and both were instant Wall Street Journal bestsellers. In Never Lose a Customer Again, Joey shared strategies and tactics for turning one-time purchasers into lifelong customers while dramatically increasing profits along the way. This current book, Never Lose an Employee Again, details a framework companies around the world can use to reduce turnover and increase employee engagement. He works with companies ranging from small VC-funded startups to large Fortune 500s with hundreds of mid-sized businesses in between. Joey developed his narrative skills as criminal defense trial attorney, advised and counseled Fortune 500 companies as a business consultant, honed his communications and messaging skills at the White House, and did things for the US Secret Service and CIA that he can't talk about publicly. His design and artwork has been displayed in museums, featured in juried shows, and graced publications in the US and abroad. When not traveling the world, 53 countries and counting on all seven continents, For keynote presentations, client workshops, and quality beach time, Joey enjoys playing board games, building Lego sets, and reading bedtime stories with his amazing wife and two young sons. Now, on to this insightful session with Joey Coleman. 
Joey, welcome to Bits About Books. I'm literally delighted to have you here because, I mean, not, not only because of the book that you have written and which is so critical in many ways, and, and we'll come to that in a moment, but uh, because of the wonderful chat we had just now. <laughs> oh, Shupanjan, it is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks to everybody who's listening in today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, before I actually get to the book, what I would like to know is, you, you wrote another book in, in a similar vein, but sort of on the flip side of the, of the process yes. uh, about, about retaining customers. Uh, and this book followed. So when you actually thought about writing these books, were you already thinking of this in two parts or was it, was it the first one and, and this sort of followed as you were going through it? It's a little bit more the latter. Uh, so when I was, I was speaking on the topic of customer retention, I was consulting on the topic of customer retention. I had an agency and I was focused on customer experience and customer retention. And then I decided to write a book. Now, when I started writing that book, I knew that you can't have a great customer experience unless you have great employees. But I also knew that in every organization around the world, customer experience and employee experience are not seen as two sides of the same coin. They are seen as totally different responsibilities by totally different departments. And the Venn diagram of where they overlap is very small in most organizations thinking. Now, in my personal thinking, I see them as being two sides of the same coin, two sides of the same conversation. But if I were to write a book about customer experience and employee experience, my books are already long, Shupanjan, right? If I were to write those books, it'd be a thousand pages. So the first book focused on the customer experience. This new book focuses on the employee experience. There was a book written in India a few years back uh, by uh, a CEO of one of the largest tech companies. Mm. And, and his book was called Employees First, Customer Second. Ah, yes. I love it. I love it. I, while I am not familiar with that book, although you just added to my shopping list on Amazon. So thank you for that. Um, I love, love, love reading new books, especially ones I haven't heard of before. Um, what I will say about this is I totally agree with that statement. When someone asked me, well, Joey, if I had to pick one, employees or customers, where should I focus? My answer would be employees. because Every employee experience contributes to the customer experience. It is not the case that every customer experience contributes to every employee. Many of them do, but not everyone. Whereas it's guaranteed that if an employee is experience it, the customers are going to feel that too. So I do like the idea of focusing on the employees first. So let's come to this book. Uh, what you just mentioned is that you were consulting about customer retention and that sort of prompted you to write the first book that you wrote. Correct. What happened and when exactly did you think that, you know what, I need to do the second one, which is focused on the employee? Well, Shupanjan, a couple of things aligned at the same time. And it's, it's hard, I think, at least for me to determine that there, for me, there wasn't a single moment that made me say, this is what I want to do. But a couple of things aligned around the same time. Number one, when my first book came out, it had been out for a few months and I received an email from a reader. And the email just said, all it said was, 
Dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I would buy it. My first book was called Never Lose a Customer Again. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I got another email like that and another email and another email. And all the email said, nothing about the first book, nothing about who they were. All it said was, dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I would buy it. Now, Shupanjan, many people who know me would tell you that I uh, I am not necessarily the brightest crayon in the box. It takes a few times before I hear a message. And I saw this as a signal that people were interested in the employee experience. Around this same time, I'm continuing to do a lot of consulting on customer experience. And what would happen is companies would hire me to come in and speak to their teams, to work with their teams. And I would be working with their teams for a day-long workshop, we would be 20 minutes into the workshop and I would realize that the interactions between the employees were terrible, that the employee experience was not working. And invariably, I would take a break and step outside with the CEO and say, we can work on the customer experience, but I'm telling you we need to work on the employee experience too or we're never going to be able to deliver the customer experience at the level we want. The combination of both of those things led me to want to write this book. I went to my publisher. I said, I'd like to write this book. They said, great, we'd like to hire you to write this book and do to do. And I started doing the research and then the COVID pandemic happened. And as soon as it became clear that the COVID, which, you know, this happened fairly on, that the COVID pandemic was not going to be quick and over. I called my publisher and I said, stop the presses. We need to delay the publication because I believe the world of work, the world of employee experience is about to change in a way and with a magnitude that we have never seen before in the history of humanity. And at the risk of sounding egotistical, I believe that that fear or that belief that I had turned out to be true. And I'm so glad we paused the book and paused the research, and it allowed us to continue to do work over the course of the pandemic and then come out with the book after the fact. Okay, so we'll, we'll uh, paddle back a bit. You got these mails, and at this point you had written the first book, and you said, hmm, this seems like something which is interesting. And uh, and like the like the incident that you mentioned that that the, the employee experience was not really panning out for that uh, specific company that you were you were doing the workshop with. What did you do next? I mean, what was your process of actually going about researching this book? Uh, what did you look for? What kind of data did you find? What kind of books did you find? What what was that like? Well, there were there were a couple pieces to the puzzle, and I love I love the depth of this question because th- this is something I get very excited about. So the first thing I did is I wanted to immerse myself in the literature that had been written about employee experience. So I read hundreds of employee experience books. I read tried to read as many books as I could that talked about employee experience. I read parts of books that talked about employee experience. I tried to get familiar with the literature that had already been written, the ideas that had already been shared. My, I'm a recovering attorney. I used to be a lawyer. And what I realized from my time as a lawyer is that readers want two things. It's the same as juries in a court system. They want two things. 
They want facts and data and logic, and they want stories and feelings and emotions. And so all of my, the, the both books that I've done and any book I would do in the future is driven by this combination of what does the research show? What does the data show? What do the facts show? And how can I identify stories that will help to illustrate what we know to be true by the research, but makes it more interesting for someone to talk to. Most of us, when we're at a cocktail party or hanging out with friends, don't say, well, I was reading a study about organizational development the other day. That's, that doesn't happen as much as, let me tell you this interesting story I heard. And so then I went to the companies that I had been featured in my first book. There were over 46 case studies in my first book. And I went back and I talked to the majority of those leaders about their employee experience. And what I realized is they were doing remarkable things for their employees all along, even before I asked, that I believed were contributing to the customer experience. And now I had some data and I had some proof. So there are some companies that are case studies in the first book that make it back as case studies in the second book. The second book, we have over 50 case studies from all seven continents because my goal was to show that as an employee, is an employee, as an, is an employee, no matter where you are in the world. Who are the people that you reached out to? I, I, you mentioned the CEOs that you spoke to. Was there anybody specific that you thought, okay, these are, this, this is a person I need to talk to, or these are a few people I must speak before I actually sort of structure the book and so on. Well, for me, the structure of the book, because the structure of my first book had focused on a few things, it had focused on the importance of the first 100 days of the relationship. It had focused on eight phases of the customer journey and six tools that we could use to create experiences during that journey. That was the framework I had used for the first book. And my, my hypothesis was, it would be wonderful if I can use the same framework for the second book for two reasons. It will be easier for other people to understand. And frankly, it will be easier for me to remember as well. I don't have to learn two frameworks. And so I started doing the research and finding that it did align. The research shows that the first 100 days of the employee experience is the most important time period in the entire employee relationship. The research showed that there are eight distinct phases that an employee goes through in their journey within our organization. The research shows that the same six tools we use to communicate with our customers, we should be using to communicate with our employees. And they want that variety and they want that level of communication. So as soon as I started to realize that, the framework was already there. I will say there was, when I was writing the book, uh, people talk about uh, the book Moby Dick and the white whale, the one, the one big one that you wanted to get. I decided that there was one case study that if I could get a case study with this company, I would personally feel like I had had a wonderful experience writing the book. And my belief was that this company would have a great story to tell as it relates to the employee experience. And that company was Lego. The company that is famous for making children's toys, plastic bricks that people play with around the world, young and old. And I worked my way to the head of people at Lego. We were supposed to have a 15 minute conversation. That's the amount of time he gave me, which I was very thankful for. We spoke for 45. 
And at the end of 45, I said, is there anyone else in the organization that you would be willing to introduce me to? And he introduced me to his team. And then I spoke to them. And it became the last chapter in the book where we say, let's look at a company that has done all the pieces of the eight journey, no pun intended, as a case study of what we can aspire to when we think about creating remarkable experiences for our people. That's such a nice story. I appreciate that. So, so Joey, the six tools, a lot of times frameworks are created and obviously frameworks are created. So A, they're easy to understand and easy to absorb. And also easy to remember. So if you have to actually go back to the book to remember it, there, it, there itself we there have is a, a friction. We have a <laughs> yes. problem, right? I mean, yes. fair yes, enough. Yes, of course. No, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I agree. So how how do you arrive arrive at the six tools uh, uh, that, that you think are required to sort of counterbalance the eight stages and, and then the ultimate outcome that the company is looking for? From no, I, 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 I appreciate this, this question, Chupanjan. So when I was looking at the journey, I knew that we need to interact with our customers and we need to interact with our employees in a way that creates wonderful touch points and experiences that move them from one phase of the journey to the next. And so I started thinking about all the ways we can potentially communicate or interact with the people we know. And this this applies to customers. This applies to employees. Frankly, this yeah. imp- applies to your spouse or your significant yeah. other or your children or your parents. These This is how humans communicate. So I looked at them. What is the number one way that humans historically have communicated? In person. Conversations like this. Great. That's one of the tools. What is the most common way that people communicate today? Email. Now, people don't get as excited about emails as they do about in-person interactions, but it's a big part of business. Sure. What did we do to communicate before we had email? Well, it was two things. We had phone calls and we had physical mail, sending things in the post. That's how we used to communicate. Okay, great. Those are two tools now. I then said, what are some ways that we are starting to communicate But we're just at the very beginning of the story. And the one that I realized and came to mind was videos, individual personal videos that we shoot and send to another person. Great. So that was five tools. And then I came to the sixth tool. Now, the sixth tool, Shupanjin, I have to give credit to my wife because my wife, my wife deserves so much credit for all of the work I've put out in the world and all of my books. She's my editor. She's amazing. She loves gifts. She loves giving gifts. She loves receiving gifts. I like gifts. I'm happy to give gifts, but it doesn't light me up the same way it lights her up. Mm. And what I realized is so many businesses give gifts to their customers. So many employers give gifts to their employees that either make those people feel greatly loved and valued and appreciated. Or more often than not, it makes them feel like they don't matter. Mm -hmm. An employer says, oh, Chupanjin, thank you for working for us for 10 years. Here's a Starbucks gift card for $10. Now, I'm not being critical of Starbucks. I'm not being critical of a gift card. But the gift is not commensurate with the value of the relationship. 
At this point, I had identified six tools and those became the six tools that informed my research. And then when I was interviewing companies, I would say, how do you use email? How do you use GIFs? How do you use videos? And invariably, they would start telling me stories and I would say, that's the story I want to highlight. And so in my books, the reason there's so many case studies is for every phase, there is an example of a company using one or more of those six tools. You know, uh, what strikes me is the simplicity of, of how you approached it. And I think, I think that's, that's the big gift because most of us are, I mean, adults, we, we, we specialize in complicating stuff, right? That's why we are adults. That's why we're not children. I mean, children can look at something and say, this is very simple. This is what it is. Uh, uh, I I remember uh, we had a mixer tap in our toilet, in in our bathroom, right? In the washroom. And the way it worked was if the taps were open, if you took the lever to the middle, there'll be no water, right? And if you took it to the right, it'll be cold. If you took it to the left, it'll be hot and so on. But we obviously never kept those open. The taps were never open. The taps were always closed. When my son was very small, uh, he had his washroom and he will keep it like that. And I said, why are you doing this? This will waste water. He says, why? Is is any water coming out now? I said, no. Then what's your problem? Why do you want me to open and close it every time? I know where exactly it is. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yes. And I, I have two young boys myself. And I try, and I could do a better job of this. I try to observe them being present in the moment. Children are brilliant at living in the present. Adults, as a general rule, are brilliant at living in the past or living in the future, not living in the present. And I agree. And I think that's where we see the... uh, the possibilities, that's where we see the global truths and the things that are simple enough that we can build frameworks around, build concepts, but also build a practice. It's very difficult to be in business in 2023. There are so many things vying for our attention. There are so many things we're concerned with, we're thinking about. Most businesses have a global reach, not only in terms of their customer base, but increasingly their employee base. Mm. Wherever we can simplify, wherever we can use frameworks that help everyone in our organization move forward together in concert, I think that's going to be best for our business and our lives. Absolutely. And, and that's what really, it, it, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to forget the six things ever because they're known, they're relatable, they're no complication which is wonderful. Well, I appreciate uh, that, Chupanja. The, the last thing I'll say on this, if I may, is one of the things I love to do when I work with audiences as a speaker or with companies as a consultant is to say, now that you know the six tools, which one do you think you're using too much? Which one do you think you're using too little? Which one do you love using? Which one do you loathe using? And they already know the answers. It's not me being the person saying, you should do this. Mm. It's me saying, is what you're doing working now that you understand the possibilities? And there are some people that say, I love making videos. Great. Go make more videos. There's some Mm. people that say, I love talking on the phone. Great. Go talk on the phone more. 
And within an organizational structure, you can quickly find the ability to interact with the customers in the way that works best for them by picking the tool they most like. What was your writing routine like? I mean, where you, because you are obviously writing it in between your all other activities. Uh, and, yes. and I presume that during uh, COVID, you did do a lot of work uh, on video, right? Uh, I did, I, yes. I, I mean, so so what was your writing uh, writing rhythm? I mean, were you like doing it in the mornings or doing it in the weekends? What was it like? So un- unlike many writers, I don't write my books. I talk my books. Hmm. So I'm a speaker. That's what I do. It's the medium I'm most comfortable communicating with. So what would happen is I would do the research. I would have an interview with a leader of an organization. I would learn some things. I'd be taking some notes and I'd record the conversation. And then usually within one or two days, I would go back and I would read through those notes. And then I would record myself telling the story of what I had learned, focusing in on one example of something they did. And then I would have that recording transcribed and then I would edit within that recording. And because I already knew eight phases, because I already knew six tools, there was a framework. And in the book, there's a chapter for each phase. Each phase explores at least one example of each tool in that phase. And I had a structure that I borrowed very liberally from the first book to drive the structure of the second book. So it became almost like finding pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and putting them in where they needed. And then what would happen is when I was done with a chapter, I would look at it and say, we need a better video example in this phase. And then I would very specifically go out and find a company or an organization that was using video in that phase. And then that would become the case study that was inserted there. The last thing I'll uh, sorry, the last thing I'll say, Shupanjan, that I, I did in writing is it was very important to me that we had a case study from all seven continents. There were two reasons for that. One, I didn't think there had ever been written a book. I still don't think there's ever been written a business book that has an example from all seven continents, including Antarctica. And number two, I wanted to illustrate to my readers, because I'm thankful to have readers around the world, that just because you read an example about a company in Austria or Australia or the United States of America it would still apply wherever you were. And so hopefully that people could could see that and understand the opportunity to uh, learn from other cultures and other experiences. And this is very vital, actually. I mean, even if you look at starting from In Search of Excellence mm-hmm. or all the, all those books, I mean, essentially when I'm sitting, I mean, I, I, I work between Toronto and, and, and India, uh, Canada and India, uh, Bangalore in India, if you have, okay. if you have ever visited. Yes. Uh, so uh, you, you see, I mean, you, you obviously relate to what, what is being told, but if you try to sort of map it onto organizations here, uh, you will have difficulties. Uh, you understand the universalness of a message. I mean, that's, that's okay. I mean, obviously you can, but uh, I, I see, I see where, where your thought is coming from, and, and, and that's a very powerful uh, uh, thought, of, obviously. Well, I appreciate uh, that, and I'm very excited to have case studies from Canada and India in the book, 
right? <laughs> so I, I at least got those two. Now, could I get every country in? No, absolutely yeah. not. But yeah. one of the things I've done going forward is I have an, an offer in the book for people. There, there were in every book, there are things that you wish you could have included in the book hmm. that, as they say in the movie business, end up on the cutting room floor. You just can't include. I wanted to create something, so I built a uh, a free offering with the book called The Vault, where I add new case studies and examples. And one mm. of my little goals, which I've actually, this is the first time I've ever shared this publicly, is to continue to add examples so that hopefully one day, and it's going to take me a while, so readers, give me patience, give me time, to have a case study example from every country in the world. Because then I think we'll have achieved it. So that's that's the long-term, decades-long goal. I don't think it's going to be difficult for you to... I mean, it, it'll take time. Exactly. But it'll not be difficult. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break... This is when the employee achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to accept your job offer. By the way, their goal is not to get a paycheck. They want to get a paycheck. They want to be paid, but that's not their goal. Their goal is a quality of life. Their goal is a certain level of experience or a certain level of responsibility or to learn new skills or to have new achievements. The challenge is every employee is hoping to accomplish something different. And as organizations, it behooves us to pay attention to what those desired goals are, to track our employees' progress towards them, and to celebrate with them when they achieve those goals. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in That is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n Business Podcast Network. Podcasts end to end. Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for Bits About Books and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Let's dive right back into the episode where we left it. So this is a good time to move to the book itself and let's go uh, through the through the eight phases. Now, uh, Joey, I will let you drive it. I mean, you need not go through all eight. You can mention them, uh, but you can pick up one or two which you think are easily illustrable while you are speaking and pick up those. Absolutely. So let's let's begin here, if we can, Shupanjan. Let me give the, an overview of the eight phases, and then we can dive deeply into whichever ones are most interesting. So the first phase is the assess phase. This is when a prospective employee is trying to decide whether or not they want to work for you. They're looking at your job description or your job advertisement. They're going to the About Us page on your website. They're going on social media to see who they know that works at your company and asking them, oh, is it really a good place to work? They're submitting their application or their resume, and they're going through your interview process. All of these things are happening in the assess phase. When they're, uh, we, we often as employers think that we're assessing the candidates, 
but we often forget that they're assessing us as well as an employer. We then come to the second phase, the accept phase. In the accept phase, the organization extends an offer of employment, and if we're lucky, their de- our desired candidate accepts the job offer. We then immediately go to phase three, the affirm phase. Now, I imagine, Shupanjan, that many of your listeners are familiar with the concept of buyer's remorse. What they may not be as familiar with is the concept of new hire's remorse. The Mm -hmm. feelings that a newly hired employee who accepts their job offer feels when they begin to doubt the decision they just made to accept your offer. In this third phase, the affirm phase, we need to affirm their choice and let them know that they made a good decision and they really are going to enjoy working with us. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. This is the first official day on the job. Now, mind you, many organizations think of this as day one. But this is the fourth of eight phases. This is the middle of the journey in many ways, not the beginning. And so on this day, it is the only phase that is limited to one day. And it's what are you doing on that first day on the job to remind that employee that they made a good choice and to set the stage for the next chapter of their life? How can we make that so remarkable? Mm -hmm. We then come to the fifth phase, the acclimate phase. Now, the acclimate phase begins on the second day on the job, and it lasts for weeks or even months as the new employee gets acclimated to our way of doing business. They learn our systems. They learn their role. They learn their responsibilities. They learn about the other relationships they have within the organization. What are we doing to hold their hand and help them get familiar and get up to speed with our organization? Most organizations... In fact, more than 50% of organizations spend less than one week onboarding and acclimating their people. If you want someone to stay for years, you need to be willing to invest more than one week getting them comfortable with their environment. We then come to the sixth phase, the accomplish phase. This is when the employee achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to accept your job offer. By the way, their goal is not to get a paycheck. They want to get a paycheck. They want to be paid, but that's not their goal. Mm -hmm. Their goal is a quality of life. Their goal is a certain level of experience or a certain level of responsibility or to learn new skills or to have new achievements. The challenge is every employee is hoping to accomplish something different. And as organizations, it behooves us to pay attention to what those desired goals are to track our employees' progress towards them, and to celebrate with them when they achieve those goals. We then come to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is when the employee becomes loyal to us and only us. They're not answering the call from the recruiter or the headhunter. They are committed to our way of doing business. The challenge is in most organizations, we take our best adopters for granted. We, we, they've been with us the longest, they are part of our culture, but we don't do the best of celebrating them. And finally, if, and only if we've helped navigate them through those seven phases, do we have the right, the privilege, the honor, the opportunity to invite them to the eighth and final phase, the advocate phase, 
where the employee becomes a raving fan singing our praises far and wide. They're going on Glassdoor and writing reviews of what it's like to work here. Whenever we have a new open position, they're recruiting their friends to come be part of our company as well. Our desire should be to get everyone we can to the advocate phase. The problem is most companies try to jump from the first day on the job to advocates without spending time in the other phases in between. Hmm. This is great. So, so I will I will sort of straight away go to affirm and activate. Uh, not because the other two are not not critical, no, but I, I think. Understand. Uh, uh, but uh, I I think that that is where the the magic starts happening, uh, because the previous ones are s- still pretty much in the domain of the employee doing something on his own, sort of, sort of. Uh, how close are these two phases to each other, and how is it different? So. Without activating, how do you actually ensure that the affirmation happens? So the affirm phase happens the moment after they accept the job offer, Hmm. and it lasts until their first day on the job. Now, for the typical employee in the typical organization, that's somewhere around two weeks because they accept the offer. They have to give Hmm. notice to their current employer that they're leaving, and Hmm. then two weeks later, they show up on the job. The majority of businesses on the planet during that two weeks have zero communication with the new employee. All they do is tell the new employee, oh, Shupanjan, you accepted the job. We'll see you on the 15th of next month at 9 a.m. That's it. They Mm -hmm. don't welcome the employee. They don't affirm the decision. They don't communicate to keep the employee excited. Some brand new research. I've got to share a little research if I may. because absolutely. Some brand new research came out two weeks ago from Gartner Group, large international research organization, very well known. And they looked at people who had accepted job offers in the first quarter of 2023. And they looked at a sample set of 3,000 people who had accepted a job offer for a new job. And what they found is that 50% of those people did not show up for the first day of work. 50% because they had accepted a job offer somewhere else during the intervening two weeks or however long the period was. Mm. As if that isn't sobering enough. They then went to the 50% that did accept the job and did show up for the first day of work. And 47% of those people said they would be willing to entertain a different job offer instead (laughs) of the place they were working if they got a job offer. So this is the world we live in today. And employers, I think, need to recognize that there is more competition than ever before in human history. There are fewer workers to fill the positions you want to fill. And as a result, you better be paying attention to the affirm face. This is very critical because, you know, when when we are looking at, especially the COVID, if you, if you refer to COVID and, and that phase, you saw how rapidly workforce were let go off by most companies, irrespective of how long they have been working. Yes. Because they thought that being answerable to Wall Street is more important than retaining the employees. Okay? Yes. And, and, and Wall then, Street and... Wall Street rewarded them for that. Yes. 
Yes. Wall Street rewarded that behavior. Yes. Yes. Wall Street has been quite consistent in rewarding wrong things. <laughs> That is so true. That is so, so true. I remember I have been a uh, an owner of Amazon stock for many, right. many years. And in the beginning, Amazon stock, it went up, but very, very little, just very, very little because the team at Amazon kept investing in infrastructure. They kept building yeah. more warehouses and expanding their reach. And Wall Street would say, you're spending this money instead of making it pr more profitable. Hmm. And Jeff Bezos and the team at Amazon said, yes, we know what we're doing. We're building yeah. our footprint and we're building it faster and stronger and across a greater geography than any of our competitors. Yeah. Well, now Amazon is basically a trillion dollar corporation that has a huge footprint because they were willing to make those investments. But if you only listen to Wall Street, Wall Street didn't like that they were making those investments. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why what you just said is is so so critical and 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 I think that the the whole idea of investing in a relationship with the employee, not treating the employee as a commodity. I'm 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 I'm, I'm telling you stuff that you know better than me. But no, but I appreciate <laughs> that, that that you have the same observation. And you know this yeah. is this is fundamental. I I'm a I'm a student of words. Words matter. The words we use with each other, the words we use with ourselves, the words we use within our organizations. In most organizations around the world, the department that is responsible for the people is called human resources. Yeah. And the problem with that is we have spent decades focused on the resources yeah. instead of focusing on the first word in the phrase the humans yeah yeah that's a that's a problem i think i think we ha we have a problem and so one once you uh, you affirm and activate what is this period of acclimatization and what are you seeing uh, in your research and your work with the companies Absolutely. Let me, Shupanjan, if I may, say one thing about, about Activate, because you had yeah. mentioned that before as well. Yes. The secret in the Activate phase is to give the employee something to talk about. There's a country Western music star, a woman by the name of Bonnie Raitt, who wrote a song called Let's Give Them Something to Talk About. And I always suggest that companies keep that song in mind when they think about the first day, because here's what's going to happen. We know this is going to happen with every employee in every company on the planet, regardless of size, regardless of industry. They're going to do their first day at work. And at the end of that day, they're going to go home or they're going to shut their computer if they're already at home. And they're going to talk to their spouse, their significant other, their children, their parents, their roommate. They're going to talk to a friend, someone that they love. And the first question that person is going to ask them is, how was your first day at work? Yeah. We know this to be true. And yet very few organizations are thinking strategically about how they want that employee to answer that question. Mm. Brain science tells us we over-index as humans on primacy and recency theory. We remember the first thing that happens in a sequence, and we remember the last thing that happens in the sequence. If I were to ask you, Shupanjan, to list out all the places you've ever worked in your life, 
and you were to create a list and I were to close my eyes and point to one and I were to say, do you remember what the first day on the job was like at this organization? And do you remember what the last day was like at this organization? More often than not, not only do you remember, but you have very strong feelings about it, either positive Hmm. or negative. Hmm. Employers should pay attention to this. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally, and, and and it's reminding me of Disney and how it, how it ensures that somebody who is in the queue has a great time while they're waiting in the queue before exactly. they actually go for the ride. Yes, right? exactly. Uh, People waiting in Disney for hours in the queue don't complain. Why? Because waiting in line as a, is as much of a ride and experience as the actual ride that you're going on. Yeah. Because they've figured out how do they take the part of their experience that isn't remarkable and make it remarkable by thinking more strategically about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that also reminds me about a trip I made to uh, Zappos headquarters in in Las Vegas. I don't know whether you have been there. I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Of course, uh, Tony Shea is no more. That's a a shame. Uh, It is. But uh, but I, 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 I can sort of recollect... And, and you know, that's, that's the interesting thing, whether it is, it is uh, employees or customers, the, the, the throne was available to both. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And for those of you that haven't had the opportunity to travel to Zappos like Shupanjan and I have, they actually have a physical throne in the office as part of your tour. It's a golden throne with a red cushion and it's beautiful and a crown and all these things. (laughs) And when you went on a tour, you could sit in the throne and have your photo taken. Yeah. And they also had employees sit in the throne and have their photo. Why? Because everyone wants to feel like they are royalty. Whether they are customers, whether they are employees, whether they are children, whether they are adults, whether they are single or they are in a relationship, it doesn't matter. Humans want to feel special. They want to feel appreciated. They want to feel valued. If we can deliver that to our customers, to our employees, to our families, our life gets better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I will go to advocate. I know that accomplish and adopter as as important. I'll skip that. And I also like to ask you if it is possible to connect that to the gifting idea that you just mentioned. So I don't know whether it is there in the advocate's uh, uh, you know phase. But not only I, is I it there, Shupan- not only is it there, Shupanjan, but you just gave me the opportunity to share a case study from India. So I feel like this is very fitting that you've asked this question. Okay, so there is a company in India called Inmobi. Inmobi yeah. works with video game companies so that mm. when you're playing a video game and let's say you're driving through the dystopian world and everything and your car drives past a billboard with an advertisement on it in the video game, not in real life, in the video mm. game, they sell the advertising space for the billboards in video games. Now, some people listening may say, Joey, this is insane. This is crazy. This is an entire industry, an entire industry. So the team at Inmobi was trying to figure out how they could get more tech workers at their office in India. Now, they're based in Bangalore. And what's interesting is 
for those who haven't had the pleasure of visiting Bangalore, there are many tech companies in Bangalore. It is difficult to find tech employees in this community because there's a great amount of competition. And in particular, they were struggling to find tech managers, the managers who would oversee the technical team. And they weren't, they were having trouble placing advertisements and finding these people. So they decided to create an employee referral bonus, where if an employee referred someone who got hired, went through the application process and got hired as a tech manager, when they got hired, the employee would get a prize. Now, the prize wasn't just cash money. The prize wasn't a pat on the back and thank you. The prize was a Royal Enfield motorcycle. Now, for anyone listening who hasn't been to India, a Royal Enfield motorcycle is the premier motorcycle in India. It's the motorcycle that anybody who wants a motorcycle in India wants a Royal Enfield. In it's, fact, it's, it's more... Go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's India's Harley, I was just it's saying. India, yeah, exactly. It's India's Harley Davidson, for those that are familiar with the Harley Davidson. And in India in particular, and in Bangalore, there is crazy traffic. <laughs> and it's actually better to have a motorcycle than a car because you can move through the traffic faster. And most of the employees of the company, because they are younger tech workers, didn't own a car or a motorcycle. So this was a big prize. A big prize. So they launched the program. And they launched the program by bringing a motorcycle and putting it in the lobby of headquarters so people could walk by it. They invited all the employees. They said, this is what you get. One of these right here, a Royal Enfield. They got a remarkable number of new candidates for tech manager. Their employees were referring unbelievably talented, unbelievably qualified people. They were participating in the employee referral program in a way that they never had before. And then they did a big gathering of all the employees and they awarded dozens of motorcycles. They had found dozens and dozens of tech managers and awarded all these motorcycles. And that's wonderful. And it's a great example of giving a gift to motivate a behavior. But here's the business case for it. Because many people listening might be saying, well, Joey, that's fine, but I can't afford to buy a Royal Enfield motorcycle for every employee that refers a new hire. This is how desperately they needed tech managers. A year later, they went back and they looked at everyone that was hired during this time for the tech manager position. About 22% of the people who had been hired from a job advertisement were still at the company. About 33% of the people who had come in through a recruiting agency, an organization finding tech managers, were still at the company. Over 50% of the people who had been a direct referral from the employee were still at the organization. This has a dollar value that when your employees are invested as advocates, not only do you get more candidates, you get better candidates, and those candidates stay longer. The research has proven this in every industry you can imagine, in every jurisdiction on the planet. These are the type of employees you want. You want employees that other employees have advocated for them to come to your organization. That's a wonderful story. I will jump straight to chapter 12, which I which I would like to believe is the Lego story. 
It is the Lego it story. Is? Yes. Right. So, so let's get to the Lego story and wrap it up from there. Perfect. Bits About Books is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink makes buying easy by enabling high-quality engagement between buyers and sellers through its presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create customized sales narratives using sales collaterals and personal videos and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversations. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 99021-631-32. So you're talking about the golden rule of employee relationships and I'm, I, I'm imagining that this is, this is the story of Lego. It is. And so one of the interesting things about Lego is I had a belief because I'm a fan Lego of Lego. In fact, they Lego has a group of customers that they refer to as AFOLs, A-F-O-L, adult fan of Lego. I am one of those. I'm self-admitted. I've been a fan of Lego since I was a young child. I'm still a fan of Lego today. One of the things I found when I interviewed the people team at Lego was that they are committed to remarkable experiences in every step of the employee journey. But the step in many ways that I found most interesting was the affirm phase. Now, we already talked earlier about how important the affirm phase is. Lego, when they're hiring a new person for a position, when they accept the job, sends them a package the package has a handwritten note from the CEO of Lego. It has some Lego swag, some shirts and water bottles and things like that. But it also has some Lego kits, some actual Lego toys or pieces. And the letter says, we're excited to have you come build with us. And they kind of play on the fact that they are a company of building bricks. And that's interesting. And that's special. And that's a great idea. But to be honest, I had a feeling that Lego was even more remarkable than that. Now, most companies don't do that. So they're already remarkable. But when we were talking, the team at Lego shared that they actually send that kit not only to the person who gets the job, but they send a very similar kit to the top two candidates who did not get the job offer. Now, their letter is a little bit different. While we were unfortunately unable to extend you an offer for this position, we loved our conversation with you. And we would like to stay in touch with you. We're going to proactively reach out to you to hear how you're doing, how your career is advancing, what you're interested in. Because if you were good enough to be in the final round, we believe there is a future for you at Lego, just not in this specific position. And we want to stay in communication. And here's some Legos. And we'd like to continue to build our relationship with you. This sounds beautiful. This sounds wonderful. It sounds nice. It sounds kind and generous to these candidates that have spent all the time. But it's also a very intelligent business decision. Because every once in a while, 
the wrong person accepts the job offer. They've made the offer to the wrong person. The person accepts the job. They come. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. How do you think the next candidate down is going to respond when Lego reaches out and says, hey, as it turns out, the person we previously extended the job to, it didn't work out. We'd love to re-engage in the conversation with you about the job. The people want to accept the job before they've even had a conversation Mm -hmm. because they felt seen and valued and appreciated even when they didn't get their original goal of getting the first job offer. To me, this says that Lego is committed to not only the employee experience, but the candidate experience as well. And when you're committed to your candidates and your employees and your customers, what you have is an organization that the ethos, the ethic is one of commitment to people. Wonderful. That's a great note to end this conversation. Uh, Joey, I really am thankful and, uh, and, and for sharing and, and for coming on the show. Uh, I think this will be a great addition to those who are reading this book for them to listen And uh, I hope to have you back soon. Oh, Shupanjan, I so appreciate it. I would love to come back in the future. And again, thanks to everybody who was kind enough to listen to the episode today. I hope you got one or two things that you can explore within your organization to make those employee experiences even better. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations on breakthrough books. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today on Bits About Books, where we talk to authors about breakthrough books on sales, marketing, and business. We hope this conversation helped inform and motivate as we all navigate a rapidly changing business environment. For us, these are enlightening conversations enriched with knowledge and expertise. We encourage you to go out and buy the book to learn firsthand and implement some of the great ideas we discussed today. We hope to have you with us again in the next exciting episode of Bits About Books. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from and give us a rating while you are at it. This BizCast original podcast is produced for PitchLink, the next generation buyer-seller engagement platform, where the mission is to make buying easy. Hosted by Subhanjan Sarkar and produced by Rajiv Aditya. See you next time and have a wonderful day.